On today's episode of Survival Dispatch News, we're going to be discussing fire preparedness for an SHTF urban survival situation. Today's episode of Survival Dispatch News is brought to you by Nutrient Survival. Nourish your body, power your mind. And we're back with today's panel for Survival Dispatch News to discuss fire safety during an urban SHTF. Now, I've got a special couple guests with me today, and our special visiting guest is going to be Nick Hackett. He is an 18-year full-time firefighter with the Montana Air National Guard. Thank you so much for coming on the panel today. Thank you. Glad to be here. No problem. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, no, it's great. Uh, So glad that you're here to join us today and share with us some of your knowledge. And as always, we have our resident master ordnance disposal tech and 23-year military veteran, as I like to call him, the dean of demolition. It's Mike Sterling. All right, guys. So we have got a really big question that got posed to us by one of our viewers uh, on one of our previous SDN videos, and they wanted to know about survival preparedness in terms of fires. Now, This is obviously a big issue, especially with modern uh, production homes. But one of the things that I was kind of thinking about when it comes to fires, an ounce of prevention is really worth a pound of cure. And some of your best practices are going to be to prevent the fire in the first place. So, uh, Nick, obviously, you've dealt with a lot of fires before. What are some things that we can do to protect ourselves against fires right now? Uh, A lot of the big stuff for protecting yourself is double checking your extinguishers in your house, making sure everything's up to, to snuff on that and that all your extinguishers are, you know, not just checking to make sure that they're in the green, but also usually moving your extinguishers around. Uh, I usually on a monthly basis, will just flip them upside down. That way the dry chemical that's inside of your extinguishers isn't packed down into the bottom, just sitting there stagnant. So uh, I know Chris, you talked about hitting them with a kind of a little rubber mallet and tapping yeah. on them is that's another great little practice. It just gets it moving around. Um, some of the other stuff you can really look at and is uh, putting suppression systems, especially if people are building their dream house for a, a location is actually looking at some of the local sprinkler systems that, that can go into that. Now that's huge for keeping a fire down. Um, and then making sure you don't just have your basic ABC extinguishers in your house, maybe throwing a type K, which is a kitchen extinguisher, throwing that into the kitchen. It, it'll help with, with some extinguishing stuff in those. Definitely. No, I think that, uh, you know, that is like the minimum you can do. And if this is type of content is helpful for you guys, make sure you click that like and subscribe button down below. It really helps us fight censorship here on the platform and helps us get this message out to other people like you who are looking to help prevent fires in a potential disaster situation. So uh, a couple other things I was kind of thinking about, obviously your, your primary things are going to be smoke detectors and fire extinguishers, having those around and making sure those are up to date and good to go uh, is really helpful. Uh, Mike, what are some of your thoughts on this? What are some other things people can do right now to kind of get prepared uh, to prevent a fire from happening in their home in the first place? Well, you know me, uh, most of the time I'm going to, I'm the guy that screams plan, 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 plan. That's planning and preparation, a big 
big things. Uh, and talking, I, I've done a lot of, I, in preparation for this, I actually talked to a bunch of my firefighter uh, buddies. And uh, one of the big things that they talked about was making sure that you're clearing brush from from around your house and, and around your property. And, and one of them that just, it didn't even, it didn't even kick into my head, but, you know, having two cords of wood stacked up right, you know, right up against your, your front porch, man, that's, that's, uh, it, it's really convenient come winter time, but it's a huge mass of fuel right up against your house. So there's, you know, there's the pros and the cons there uh, on that kind of thing. Uh, but also, also those, you know, making sure that those, those plans for egress are not only, not only laid out, but drilled. I mean, if you've got people, you know, you've, you've, you've got a whole bunch of people living in your house, you've got kids, things like that. You, you've got to actually work that with them. If you've got, you know, if everybody sleeps up on the second floor, you should probably look into ladders and, or, or, or rope ladders or something like that. You need to be able to get out. That's a really good point. And uh, something that I had actually on here as well is make sure you keep your combustible materials away from your house. Uh, it's just a huge ignition source and will only just fuel the flames. Now, uh, Nick, I had a question. You know, you see like on like on Instagram and stuff like that, they have like these balls, right? These fire extinguisher balls. Are those effective at all? Or is it just kind of like movie magic that we're seeing there? I have not seen any anything in the fire service where they're pushing them. Everything I'm seeing right now is more on the movie magic side of that. But I will also want to extend what Mike was talking about there is practicing your plans. I have two little ones, and I just started talking to them about doing fire escape plans with them. And the first few times that, you know, one of the times I just hit the actual test button on my on my smoke detector and both of them just freaked out and installed and they did absolutely nothing. So after a few times of just drilling that through their heads of like, Hey, what's our plan? Where do you go? What do you do? Now both my boys are out the door in a minute if I press that button. So it, that preparation and planning prior is huge. So. You know what they say, proper planning prevents piss poor performance. Uh, and so that's a great example and a great thing that I think, uh, you know, every parent and everybody in the preparedness community should be doing is just having a plan and practicing the plan. You know, as they say, you know, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Uh, and hearing that alarm go off can definitely be a punch to the face if you're not ready for it. Well, and how many times have I said it on just on here, Chris, that that psychologically human beings do not rise to the occasion you will fall to the level of your training each time every time the more you train the higher that level is absolutely i know it's a very good point and so uh, let's talk about some possible danger zones here where fires can likely occur in the home. You know, in an urban setting, this is, of course, especially dangerous because of the proximity that you're living with other people. Fires can spread, well, like wildfire, uh, not trying to be too punny there. But obviously, there are some pretty, you know, known sources of ignition. Obviously, your heating system, cooking in the kitchen has probably got to be one of the top ones. Uh, but Nick, let us know what are some other danger zones where you know houses can or apartments can really start going up quickly. Uh, yeah, so uh, depending where you're at, you know, you look at the 
uh, urban setting, your your kitchens are usually your your number one start for fires there. Uh, especially you get into the winter time, you're gonna go your fireplaces not get checked and stuff like that. Uh, turkeys, turkey cooking turkeys if they're un if they're frozen, that's a huge one for Thanksgiving. You're usually gonna have one to two fires out there because somebody didn't thaw their turkey before they cooked it and they roasted the entire outside of their house. And that's a huge one now that you start the exterior house and now it's gonna put an exposure to the to all your neighbors around you. So those are some of the big ones. Uh, and then you look at a lot of the construction that you have on your structure. Um, if if you have cedar shake shingles or classic style shingles, they, they can go up a lot faster than some of your newer products, but then not all new products are the greatest in other aspects of that. Uh, modern furnishings are super flammable. So that's something you gotta look into as well, where it's sad to say a wood chair may be less flammable than your modern couch just because of the, what the couch is made out of now. Yeah, and before we started, you were talking about there is a certain type of I-beam that they're using now in, in you know, construction. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so one of the most popular ones for uh, manufacturing homes now is using a prefabricated I-beam that they use, it's a glue laminated construction and it kind of is like a particle board, but it's, they just make I-beams out of them. They're great for construction purposes, but if they're exposed, so if you do or have a, a basement in your house, uh, Montana, almost every single house has a basement in it and it's unfinished and that I-beam is exposed, those glue lamb I-beams can fail within less than five minutes of exposure to heat. So it's crazy how fast that those can burn up. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely something to be aware of, especially if you're building a home, especially a new one, or if you have an old one, kind of knowing what your home is made out of is going to be incredibly important. Uh, Mike, what do you think about, uh, you know, potential danger zones? Where should we be concerned about? So I'm with, I'm with Nick on, on this. One of the biggest things that we see here in the South is uh, predominantly you, you have a big problem with um, you have a big problem with people will run pine in their, in their fireplaces because, I mean, you know, we're just loaded with pine down here, but you know, any kind of resinous wood, you wind up burning that in your fireplace and man, you get that residue in there and eventually you wind up with a chimney fire and, and, and that's a problem. And and my biggest concern, you know, on a on a SHTF situation, not necessarily in an urban setting, but more of a suburban setting, which is where about probably about 40% of the U.S. population lives is in suburban areas. You look at a lot of those suburban neighborhoods that they're putting in these days, and you've got very minimal space between your houses. It doesn't have to be your house that catches fire. It could be 10 houses down. And if you don't have a fire department, your entire your entire subdivision is gonna burn to the ground because un unless you can get it stopped and the only ones that are going to be able to stop it are you and you may wind up having to just outright you know i hate to say it but cut a fire break mm -hmm. somehow by sacrificing somebody's house i don't you know I, I don't know what would be the best way to do it i mean i know i have an idea of how i would do it but <laughs> i'm you know, sure I, you I, do i mean you know, I, I have federal explosives license, so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're in a situation there that, man, I mean, you know, I've seen houses go just like that. And I've also seen 
you know, in Baghdad, seeing fires in the in the slums and stuff just burn down entire blocks like nothing. I mean, in seconds, and it just spread everywhere all of a sudden like so especially you get a little wind involved and things like that yeah i mean it could be it could be interesting it could be bad and it could be ugly real quick well i mean we have a lot of instances in that in history i mean we have the great london fire is a great example of one that just got out of control and heck right now we've got the canadian wildfires going on that's you know belching smoke out this direction you know towards the south which is you know, not a good thing going on. So there are a lot of different possibilities that can happen. And as, as far as cutting a fire break in your neighborhood, I'm sure that your HOA can have a meeting about that. And you all can sit down in a committee, determine how you're going to do that. And then, uh, you know, it'll be all, all fine. Everybody will vote on it. Uh, you know, I'm sure that'll go really well. Yeah. The first one getting thrown on the fire is Karen. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, all right. So cool. So I had a couple uh, other things here to touch on. I, I love that you guys were talking about turkeys. That's a really big thing around Thanksgiving. And I know frying a turkey here, uh, even in uh, the Midwest, is still very popular. But uh, obviously, we've got electrical fires, uh, you know, wildfires, natural disasters. I kind of touched on that. Uh, but it can be even something as innocuous as a lightning strike that, you know, you have no control over. Uh, but then the fire starts and you got to get that under control. Uh, and then, of course, if utilities are still up, you could potentially have electric fires and gas leaks. Uh, obviously, easy things to happen. And for those, I would say know where your shutoffs are in your home or your dwelling. Know how you can do your best you can to control that. And, of course, as always, never put water on an oil fire in the kitchen. That's a bad idea. Uh, that's why yeah. you need to have baking soda, a large box of baking soda in the kitchen at all times. And it ain't for cooking. I'll just tell you that much. Uh, so definitely a good thing. And you guys kind of touched on this. My next point was make sure you have an escape plan because you've got to get out of that fire as quickly as possible. Uh, Nick, give us kind of a, a rundown of what happens in an internal fire, because I know a lot of bad things happen as far as the atmosphere in the home. Yeah. So even by the, by the time your smoke alarm is going off, you know, obviously smoke rises. So every, it's, it's going to be up high and you're going to be safe. Biggest thing with a lot of that is the combustibles that are burning. Most of them are nasty carcinogens anymore that's going to be burning on that. So it's going to mess up your lungs if you get a big hot breath of, of that smoke. So when the fire is in its uh, incipient stage, its growth stage, it's, it's going to be start doubling almost every single minute in size. So a room and contents fire right off the bat is will be fully engulfed usually in five to 10 minutes. Um, Local response times for most departments in a suburban area, they're going to be, they're going to have a, at least one full room almost on fire by the time the departments get there. So it's not a fast process. You got to think of you're calling a dispatch center. Now that dispatch center is going to be calling out to the fire department and then the fire department has its response time. If you're lucky and you live close to a fire department, you're still probably talking five, five to 10 minutes at the shortest time. You start going out into the, the rural, more rural areas. We have a lot of volunteer departments around my area. Um, you're talking 10 to 20 minutes minimum response time for a lot of the volunteers, depending where you live. So that's where that really prevention and planning is of getting out of the house early is going to be your best bet. Along those lines, you know, obviously I think having something like a fire mask or a respirator would be really helpful, but I would say uh, you've got to have those carbon monoxide filters and those things ain't cheap. I mean, 
I'm sure, Nick, if you've had to go into burning buildings, those masks are not uh, anything to be messed with. I mean, they're pretty pretty heavy, if I recall. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, don't go into a building without an SCBA on if we got smoke in there. And we're, we're going in now with even – we have uh, four and five gas and CO monitors that – before we will take off our SCBAs when we go into a structure that even after it's burnt and the fire is out, we don't go in without checking the air quality before we go in just because there are so much nasty stuff and, and, and chemicals that are in the smoke anymore. So really important to make sure you can breathe. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people like to, to complain about the price of, of a mask or something like that, but, um, you know what they say, the rule of threes, you know, three minutes without oxygen. I can tell you those last, that last minute and a half is going to be pretty bad. Uh, now, one thing that a lot of people need to also remember is that, is that, you know, if you're just wearing a mask, a, you know, a full face piece respirator, it's not producing oxygen. It's not all it does. It's a filter. That's all it is. And no. you're not going to filter out enough of that stuff to compensate for the lack of oxygen in the air. Um, like, I mean, I've, I keep a couple of five minute rescue bottles because you know, we do hazmat all the time. So I've got a mound of five minute rescue bottles laying around, man, a five minute rescue bottle will get you, will get you out of a, of a burning structure quick, fast and in a hurry. Um, but I'll tell you, and Nick, I would kind of like your, your, uh, take on the, uh, those, uh, uh, those rescue hoods, the, the, the supposedly, supposedly, uh, uh, the bag that you can put over your head in it, and apparently it supposedly won't shrink wrap under your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. really like your take on those. I've I've seen the products. I've never put hands on them though. Um, they're supposed to have some sort of oxygen producing thing when they're opened. I really don't know how well they would work. I don't think I would put my trust in it. Um, same with a lot of the Seaburn masks that uh, a lot of the companies out there are talking about now is people got to realize those are not for a fire environment. They're not for smoke inhalation. They're like they say, chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear on those. So that's not what those masks are designed for is smoke. So that's not a go-to like you were talking about some of those, uh, oxygen a quick five minute rescue bottle is great um they do make i've seen them now in stores of just straight pure oxygen they're more for like working out and stuff like that i'd probably yeah, just a can about on, this size yep i'd probably go with one of those before i would actually try one of those hoods because then you're you know you're getting what you need to actually breathe but there's also going to be a technique with that of of so you're not breathing, inhaling smoke on that. So you really got to be dedicated to the bottle. That's why fire departments still preach always just get low and get out as fast as you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, definitely. The last thing you want to do is, is have something like that fail on you. Uh, you know, so now is not the time to be uh, testing gear. It's the time to just GTFO, get out uh, and get to your rally point. And like we we're talking about earlier, make sure you have that plan. Practice with your family so you know what you guys are going to do, where everybody's supposed to go, and if you have to make a phone call, who they're going to call, uh, where to go as a you know a backup in case your main rally point is compromised, like maybe the whole neighborhood's burning down. 
Uh, so really important things to consider. Obviously, a big fire concern for a lot of preppers we have is, well, let's just say the amount of ammo that we have. And you should be getting all of your ammo from ammo.com if you ask me. But uh, Mike, as a, an ordnance disposal tech, uh, what are your thoughts on having large stockpiles of ammunition and uh, the dangers that they could cause? So um, I've seen, a, I've, I've, I've done investigations on a lot of sites where ammunition is burned. And and just an upfront so that everybody knows it doesn't explode. Okay. Small arms ammunition just kind of pops like a popcorn popper. All right. If you're within 10, 15 feet of it, it's going to be a hazard to you, but it's not going to detonate. Okay. You're not going to wind up with, you know, this huge explosion out of your house. If, uh, you know, if, if your ammo gets too hot, it doesn't do that. Now you should not keep ammo inside your gun safe mm -hmm. for the same reason. All right, because it's going to wind up, it's going to wind up really, it's going to get hot enough and it's going to pop inside your gun safe. You should keep that always in a, in a completely different uh, safe. And as a matter of fact, there's, uh, I, I know I, I go with Liberty. I don't know about the other uh, gun safe manufacturers, but they will not, uh, they will not insure anything in your gun safe. Uh, if you keep ammo in there, it completely it completely nullifies your your warranties with that kind of thing. So I mean, you know, if you're if you're in a regular you know still grid up scenario and your house burns down and they find out that you had ammo in there, boop, done. All right. So uh, so ammo is a ammo is a thing, but it's not it's not something that people need to worry about. And I always see it. People are always talking about, oh, yeah, your whole house is going to blow up. No, it's not going to blow up. So Nick, I'd like your I'd, I'd like to hear what you think about that. Yeah, so for for me, I have all my reloading components away from the rest of my firearms. But the you know big thing with uh, gunpowder is it's it's mass fire. It's not a, like you said, it's not an explosive. Uh, so I still have I keep a lot of of my ammo next to my my gun safe. Uh, but the biggest thing is uh, I have. It's probably not the safest one, but. Back in my younger years, I've had guys throw 22 rounds into a, a campfire and stuff like that. And because because the rounds are not in a chamber, they can't make pressure, which is how your gun's going to fire. And it's going to create that pressure and make the danger of the projectile going out. So, like you said, it's not really that dangerous as long as it's not stored in the firearms um, is the big things on that. Speaking on safes, uh, that's a good one to make sure you look actually at your safes. Most, most, even the Liberties, I have a, kind of a knockoff of a Liberty safe, is their fire ratings on them. They're actually, if you look at most safes, they don't even say safe on them anymore. They say fire cabinets. And they're more of a heat, they're gonna keep heat. At, so in a fully engulfed house fire, their ratings are up to like 11 to 1600 degrees. Um, our training fires that I do are over 600 degrees and those are very small fires. And at 600 degrees is where we usually cut the, the safety line of, Hey, we don't want it going above this cause it's no longer safe when we're in our gear. So your, your gun safes are, have a 60 to 90 minute rating on them, but really look at that rating. If, if you're in a rural area, you're going to meet that 60 minutes, 1300 degree temperature rating probably pretty quick if you're in a urban area where you have a or a, even a suburban area where you have a full-time fire department they should be there they should keep the gun safe but you're still also going to look at water damage to all your firearms when that happens your ars may be able to replace some melted plastic on them 
but for the most part, your optics are probably going to be junk on them, but the main part of the firearm may be good, but your classics, those are the ones that are really going to hurt in a fire if they're even in a gun safe. Yeah, those wood stocks are going to char up and uh, pretty much dead at that point, which is a sad story. Yeah. It's not a boating accident. It's the house fire this time. Yeah. Yep. So I've got a I've got a friend who he built a uh, he built a gun room down inside of his basement, mm-hmm. and uh, he used all aluminum uh, all aluminum structure around it for the uh for for the actual structure structure but then he laid a uh he laid a double layer of fire retardant uh the fire retardant drywall in there the good industrial stuff which um correct me if i'm wrong nick but that that um as soon as it gets to a certain heat it starts it starts uh um putting off a large quantity of co2 does it not i haven't seen any of the uh, fire rated drywall around here so i can't speak on that one yeah um yeah I, I did a little bit of reading on it but yeah anyway he laid he laid a double layer of this into the room specifically for the purposes of uh if he does have a house fire that's going to be the coolest spot in the house until the very end now i i can kind of speak on behalf of that one a little bit is we did have a uh a gentleman a few years back uh, in our locality, it was just outside of town, and he did the same sort of thing. He was a firearms dealer. His entire, he built a, I want to say it was a one-foot wall safe in his basement, and it was a probably 20 by 50 gun room that he had built into the into the basement of his house. Jealous. Oh, his, house caught, yep. <laughs> his house caught fire. He went down to his basement to his gun safe room to, for some odd reason, thinking that he was going to be safe. And that's where they found his body was, was in that gun safe room. Granted, uh, it was, he died of smoke inhalation in there, but a lot of his firearms were salvageable. At least I don't know if that's good or bad, but it, it's a sad story that, you know, it's, it's not, it's still the best to get out. Don't, don't go to your Alamo in in spots like times like that. Yep. Absolutely. Getting out the most yeah, important a, thing. Yeah. That's, that's how you wind up getting Benghazi'd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not where you want to be for sure. So now let's talk about when things go south. Let's talk about a disaster situation because this is completely different because we know the fire department isn't coming potentially. Now for a disaster, like a natural disaster or something like that, maybe they'll show up, but it's going to take them longer because they're responding to fires all around the city and things like that. So uh, one of the big things I was thinking when, thinking about SHTF is I I know we're going to talk about the marauder aspect here in a minute, but I think most fires are going to get started from people who are basically just desperate. And they're like, I've got to, you know, I've got to cook. I've got to heat my home. I'm freezing. I'm starving. I really think that that's going to be the biggest danger in SHTF uh, as far as where fire starting. Candles, oil lamps, and people that don't know how to use them. Exactly. Or foolishly cooking. Or, or, or foolishly cooking with those items inside the house or propane inside the house. Definitely cooking, heating, going to be a big problem because people have no idea what they're doing and they're, they're panicked, they're desperate, they're not sure what to do. But I think another issue, and this is kind of what we really wanted to hit on, is you know people with nefarious intentions uh, coming around and trying to make an example of you and your house, especially because you're a prepper, you've got yourself put together, 
and maybe they're trying to force compliance with the rest of your neighbors to give up their stuff. Now, I'm not recommending anybody do that, but I think it's definitely something that they could do if that situation were to arise. So I want to get both your guys' opinion on this. What can we do if, you know, somebody, you know, comes with that intent that they're going to start a fire? What are some precautions we can take, especially if the fire department isn't coming? Uh, I'll start with this one. Yeah, so the biggest things I would is if you're looking at more of the suburban setting, um, one part I would always talk to is make sure you get a, a neighborhood group of somewhat, you know, actually talk to your neighbors, get to know your neighbors, because um, you really can't cut everything down around your house and get clear lines. Uh, not saying you should have lines of fire set up around your house, but if you're going down that true shit hits the fan scenario, that may be one of the things you need to look at. So you can give yourself a little bit of standoff distance and have a, a community, a neighborhood that's, that's willing to work with you. Now, if you are out in the county and you don't have a neighbor very close, it, it truly lines up with a lot of the, the urban interface fire firefighting is get a lot of that fuel load away from the house. And it, it's giving yourself that same exact thing. It's giving yourself standoff distance from things that could catch fire and burn up close to your house. Um, having a gravel driveway almost 360 around your house so that you have 10 10 to 15, maybe even 20 feet of stuff that's not combustible right next to your house is a super great area to have. Mike, you're in the business of uh, burning things. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, uh, and, and I, you know, Nick knows far better than, than I do on these things, but yeah, I mean, you know, an ounce of prevention on this whole thing is, is a big thing. Um, the, uh, you know, we, you, you do have, you know, you, you get bad actors, man, bad actors are going to do bad things and that's all there is to it. So, you know, the, the, the first thing of course is vigilance trying to be out in front of it and, and catching it early, of course, is going to be, you know, early and often is, is going to be the big key. As soon as you've got it, there you go. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is if somebody throws a Molotov cocktail on your, on your roof, not a whole heck of a lot you're going to be able to do about that. Um, other than the Israeli method, which is, you know, shoot it with a shotgun while it's still in the guy's hand. And that's a, that's actually an IDF technique right there. Um, hey, it works. You know, well, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock it. Um, the good thing is a lot of firebugs wind up torching themselves doing that kind of stuff which is a beautiful thing i mean that's just instant karma as far as i'm concerned but um you know if if you you know if you if you've got these kind of issues you know like like i said man if you're if you're in a suburban neighborhood these days where you know the 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 you know the houses are stacked right up against each other or you're in an apartment complex or something like that then it just may it just may downright be out of your hands but you can try it through the networking and through a little bit of vigilance and, and intelligence yeah exactly i mean keep down you know keep down the the ability for these things you know, not only to start, but to spread. If you can, if you can limit its advance, that's a big thing. So, yeah, that's, that's my thought on that whole thing. Yeah. You guys pretty much hit uh, exactly what I was going to, to touch on. So you guys nailed it. I would say, like you said, keep a perimeter as far out as possible. Uh, you know, I, I remember 
Uh, this is a movie reference. So I was watching the Mel Gibson film, We Were Soldiers, and he's talking about, you know, trying to establish a perimeter as far away from the LZ as possible because you don't want to be fighting right in your house. Having that community around you to kind of help defend that area is going to be so important because the truth is we can't stay up 24 7 365 we got to sleep we got to have people to watch our back and in an urban scenario like this it's going to be critically important to have that group around you to help you out and try and keep those you know ill people with ill intent as far away from you as possible but you know mikey really hit on it there may be times when you just simply can't do anything uh there's no choice but you have to bug out. And I think that's why it's so important to have your bug out bags ready to go. And as Mike likes to say, have a freaking plan. You need to know what you're going to do, where you're going to go. And because like Nick was talking about earlier, once these things start, it's doubling every minute or so. And at that point, you don't have time to be like, oh, I'm going to get my bag packed. Uh, then let me pull out the map and uh, you know, kind of figure out where I'm going to go. No, you didn't get time. You got to grab the bag and you got to go. Uh, and so I know a lot of people like to dog on bug out bags, like, oh, it's not useful. You know, I beg to differ in a situation like this, having everything centralized in the bag that you can just grab and run out of the house with so critically important because it, you're just not going to be able to stop it. Uh, if, if somebody does use like some chemical incendiary, like a, a Molotov or something like that, you can't stop it. It's just going to go. And it's time for you to go at that point. So Having that plan, having those escape ladders for second story bedrooms, things like that, and talking with your family ahead of time is going to be the biggest thing that you can do uh, to make sure you, that you survive that situation. I would say that, uh, you know, if a secondary option, if you know a fire is coming or something like that, and you have a nearby water source, you have a hand pump, you can try and, you know, wet down your roof, uh, things like that. That, of course, is not going to stop down, uh, stop marauders or things like that. But for wildfires or a neighborhood on fire, uh, trying to get that area wet as much as possible to minimize the chance of that fire spreading to your home is another thing you can do. But again, I can tell you, I don't have a pool in my backyard, so that's not going to work for me. And I know it's not going to work for a lot of our viewers who are living in an urban environment that, you know, just don't have access to that in their backyard, so to speak. So uh, to that point, something that you could do, I mean, you're probably not going to wind up doing it before, but I've got a buddy out in Texas. He lives out in the country and he actually came up with a really, I mean, you know, he's got like, he's got like a two hour response time, you know, mm -hmm. from fire. So he's way the hell out in the middle of nowhere, but he came up with his own firefighting rig, which is actually really, really cool. He got one of the little three quarter ton uh, trailers, little, one of the little Humvee trailers, mm -hmm. but I mean, you could do this with a flatbed trailer, whatever, you know, for your neighborhood. And he mounted, uh, he mounted a, uh, uh, let's see the normals are the 275s. He got one, well, I think the 325 gallon aquatotes, one of the big caged, okay. uh, uh, water tanks, use whatever water tank you happen to get. I mean, even if you go up to the 550 gallon ones, whatever, right? Just as long as the, as long as the trailer can ha handle it. He painted it red and he's got that, he's got that on his trailer and then he's got a trash pump plugged okay. into it and a length of hose. Um, you know, just the, the, what is it? The, the inch and a half firefighter, firefighting hose, Nick, something like that. Yeah, the main ones are inch and a half or inch and three quarter. But yeah. we have a lot of volunteer departments around here that just don't have the money. And they don't go with uh, that style of tanks. They usually go with a little bit beefier of a water tank. 
but tons of those trucks are, are built like you're saying, uh, especially the wildland rigs that they use. And a wildland rig works great for house prevention, for preventing a fire getting up to your house. And all they are is, yeah, a, a small little water pump, just the little portable ones that you can put on the back of a truck and a water tank. And that can put out a, quite a bit of fire if you if you actually know what you're doing with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, like I said, that was what he did. I mean, he just painted his tank red, put a trash pump on there. He's got a spool of, of hose just so he can beat something down before it gets to his hacienda. Yep. That's it. You know, it's, it's, it's that ounce of prevention. He can take, he can take a small fire and he can, he can handle a small fire before it turns into a really big brush fire, which could just be absolutely devastating out there, especially as dry as Texas was for about a decade there. Um, so yeah, that's an option. Yeah, um, if you're in the the rural areas, that's a huge one. We've had a few brush or wildland fires around here where uh, some kids were playing with with uh, fireworks and and lit off an entire community around here. And we I think we've lost ten houses, but luckily there was a whole lot of response to it, and we got it out before it burned got into the city. But just stuff like that, where if you if you put on the sprinklers or to keep the keep the area around you wet a metal roof especially can really stop sparks if they are landing on top of your house from your roof catching on fire metal roofs are huge for for prevention in that aspect and then yeah if you really can afford it building a little trailer or a truck that's designed for just kind of a little brush truck like the fire departments have if you can afford it that works great and they can pull double duty too because then it could be a you do live in the rural setting you can use it as a just a standard water truck for getting your water for your house yeah and and you know at a grid down scenario when you know maybe you're going to have a volunteer fire department being able to come into your area but you're looking at an hour or something like that if you can if you can beat down those small fires before they can become a big fire and you lose three quarters of your neighborhood if i can if i can deal with just losing one house out of the neighborhood as opposed to losing most of the neighborhood Man, that's that's a big thing. Even if it just comes down to you know wetting down the houses around it, yeah. you know, sacrifice that one house if you gotta, you know, or you know, if you can save what you can save, save it. Um, but yeah, I mean that that ounce of prevention that's a, that's a thing. And you know, hey, if a whole neighborhood gets together and slaps that together, you know, how how bad is that? It's not. You know, it's a couple gallons of gas and it's a water tank. And a trash pump and a little bit of a little bit of hands-on work. And you just put all that onto a motorcycle trailer for God's sakes. So it's it's not a big bunch of effort. It's a really cool idea. I hadn't even thought about that. And definitely something you could do if you have a community around you uh that, you know, is amicable to that sort of thing. I think it'd be a great thing to really be able to do. And I'm sure that there are local fire departments who would be more than happy to help train you and your neighborhood on how to use that properly and what to do and what not to do in a fire. And again, I think it's an incredibly important thing to remember is make sure you're getting training on this equipment uh, before things go south. Uh, You want to do it now when things are good, when you can go to the gas station and, you know, buy your gas and your, your monster energy drink and go do some training as opposed to waiting until there is no fire department anymore. And you've got to figure this out on your own, Uh, learning how to do these skills now is so critically important. And that segues great into our next topic for next week. We're going to talk about the 10 skills that you need for urban survival. Uh, We're going to have Eric back from Nutrient Survival. So it's going to be a great SDN. You're going to want to make sure that you're there for that one next week. 
Uh, and uh, Mike, how should they do that so they know that when we're going to be uh, posting that video? Well, that's really simple. Uh, you should do the like, click, subscribe, right? Absolutely. Yeah, click the buttons. All right, come on, save us from save us from these people that are constantly suppressing us. That you know they they don't want you to get the they don't want it, want you to get the word. All right, Definitely. like, click, subscribe. Keep us going. Keep us getting this good information to you. Definitely. Now, before we close out the video, I want to go through this week's top comment from our last video that we posted. Uh, and this one comes from, I'll post this up on screen so everybody can see it. It is Joe Laporto5210 uh, was talking about his experience during 9-11. He was actually in the World Trade Center when it happened. And he said the lesson that he learned in a denser urban environment was that quick, decisive action and speed trump everything else. Uh, so a few years later, he was actually in the New York City blackouts. And from that lesson, he was able to get out of the city before everybody else within 10 minutes. He said that he was at the ferries, ready to go. Uh, and he got home in less than an hour while everybody else was stuck, like sitting in Grand Central Station all night. So uh, guys, I think quick, decisive action during the early stages of a SHG of event, incredibly important. So having your plan in place and knowing what to do. So important. Uh, guys, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and that, like we talked about, um, you know, so many times before is, is the training. And if you've, you've, you've drilled this thing into your mind, now you're able to make those decisions faster rationally. So if I can make a rational decision right now, quick, fast, and in a hurry, I can, I can, I can shorten my OODA loop so that I've looked at it. I've decided what the problem is. I've now decided what I need to do. I'm out. I'm gone. Right. Make that decision. And that's where those, you know, that's where, you know, your, your get home bag comes in and the like, and, and thank God, you know, not needing it at that point. I mean, mm -hmm. I've got a buddy in, I've got a buddy in San Francisco who, uh, you know, he's got a 65 mile trip back and forth between home every day, but he has to work, unfortunately, in Oakland. And uh, yeah, yeah, getting home is a big concern of his, but his very first thing is keeping a pull, keeping an eye on what exactly is going on and how quick I need to get out of here because that's his plan is to be able to get out ahead of everybody else. Great plan. Nick, what are your thoughts? Uh, to caveat kind of what Mike said is, and my biggest thing is when I, I'm training a lot of my guys, especially when they're up and coming in to be officers on the fire ground, is, is make a decision. Go with your decision and have a, just have a reason for that decision. But biggest thing is making a decision. You sitting there going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do is getting you nowhere. And like you, you were saying, the guy that got on the ferries right away, he made the decision and ran with it. You don't know till later if it's the right decision, but if you do find out it's the wrong decision, make another decision and just keep moving on. Yeah, it's called paralysis by analysis. Yep. Absolutely. Just make a decision. Don't get stuck there thinking, oh, what should I do? Make a decision, go and make it happen. And your chances of survival increase considerably as opposed to someone who's just sitting there going, WTF just happened. Uh, you know, what are we going to do? Oh, Bob in accounting, where are we going to go? Uh, you know, just make your decision and go. Uh, don't sit yeah. around and wait for everyone else for, uh, you know, the approval of the masses for your decision. You make the decision yeah, for you. I've had a previous boss that was, was 
he was a great guy. I don't know if he should have been a firefighter, but because he had a terrible, terrible, he was terrible at making the decision. So usually very young, I just learned of give him two options of a, Hey, here's my A and my B plan. I, I would go with A for this reason. And he'd be like, yep, go with it. And as long as you lay it out in a, in a logical manner that it it's a good path forward, even people, if you're not the ones always making the decision, you can at least push to, uh, to the way that you feel is going to be the best way forward. So, Well said, well said. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today on Survival Dispatch News. It was a real pleasure having you. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks awesome. for coming in, Nick. Appreciate it. And as always, Mike, it's a pleasure having you on here. And we'll catch you next time on Survival Dispatch News.